You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. All right, my dear friends, welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist. Very important for us to learn some of the Talmud that talks about judgment, because what are we going to be doing tomorrow morning? It says that the judgment happens in the first three hours of the day. So we got to jump out of bed early and start our prayers on the morning as the sun rises, get up, pray. There is a special omen, a very positive, powerful omen, that if one recites the entire Psalms twice on Rosh Hashanah, anything they ask for, they'll get. Hey, try it. It's worth a try, exactly. All right, so let's begin. We're learning the Talmud 16a in Tractate Rosh Hashanah. So start with the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, The at four junctures during the year, the world is judged. On Passover for the grain, on Shavuos on the fruits of the tree, on Rosh Hashanah, all who come to the world, all men, all women, all children, every human being, every creature is judged. They pass before Hashem like Bnei Marum. We'll see what that means in a second. Who fashions their heart together, their hearts together, who understands all their deeds. And on the festival of Sukkot, we are judged for the water. So those are the four Rosh Hashanahs. Now, what does that mean, Kivnei Marum? It doesn't really say how our judgment is. It just says that we're judged. So let's see what that means. So um, Talmud, further on, 18a, says the following. Okay, so the Mishnah we just learned a second ago says that on Rosh Hashanah, all the world's inhabitants pass before him like B'nai Marum. What is B'nai Marum? The Gemara inquires regarding the last phrase, my Kivnei Marum. What is the meaning of Kivnei Marum? The Gemara presents three answers. Here in Babylonia, they translated it like lambs. We pass before the Almighty like lambs. Reish Lakish, Reish Lakish, who was from the land of Israel, he says, Kemalos base Marum. Like the people traversing the elevated paths of Marum area. What is Marum area? So the Talmudic, the, the commentaries explain, according to this explanation, the term Marum is related to Maros, which is, means authority. David's soldiers were counted one at a time as they walked out to war in a single file. Some commentators explain that these three interpretations of the phrase B'nai Marum are not really a conflict. Rather, each interpretation reflects a different aspect of God's judgment or different category of the judged. So they say that it was basically, there was like on the side of the mountain where there's a very narrow space and only one person can go at a time. So according to some, that's what it was referring to. Amar, Rabbi Yehuda Mershmuel, the third opinion, Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rabbi Shmuel, 
kechayolos shel beistovet, like the soldiers of the house of David. The Gemara comments, Omar Rabba Babar Chana, Omar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabba Babar Chana says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Vikulam niskarim beskira achas. And they are all examined with one glance. They're all examined with one glance. That is, even though every person passes by one by one, God examines them all together. Several commentators note that this seems to be a contradiction, which we are going to talk about here. If people are judged one after the other, then how they judged simultaneously? Are you judged as a group or are you judged as an individual? So our commentaries talk about this. Many, many of our sages bring this as a very, very important point of focus because we are judged in two different ways. We're judged as individuals. Each one of us are charged with responsibilities of things we need to accomplish as an individual. You are given certain talents, certain skills, certain abilities, and now you need to perform with those skills and abilities. You're right? Someone who is a gifted orator should be using their gift. Someone who's a gifted singer should be using their gift. Someone who's a gifted dancer, etc., etc. Every gift that a person is given, they should be utilizing those gifts. So that is one accountability that we have on Rosh Hashanah. But there's a second accountability. And that is kulam niskaram beskira achas. That is everyone is examined with one in one fell swoop. We're, we're examined as part of an entire nation. What does that mean? I mean, is we're judging the entire people, entire mankind? Are we going to have a hurricane or what? Like, how does that work? Is there going to be a tornado here? Because based on God's glimpse on all of humanity? So I want to offer an idea that I saw from my grandfather. And that is that God judges the importance of you for the congregation. How important are you for the congregation? Meaning God is looking not at the entire congregation and judging based on the congregation. God is judging you based on the congregation. Meaning, how important are you for the congregation? Which is why my grandfather says that every person should endeavor to do acts of kindness. That every, person should, that every person should endeavor to do acts of kindness. Because if someone does acts of kindness, the recipients of that kindness need that person. So now it's not me living for me in my own little private life. Now it's me living because other people need me to live, to take care of them. The more people are dependent on me, the more likelihood for me to get another year because the congregation needs me. So that's the the judgment on everyone is what's your place with everyone? What's your value to everyone? If God gives you a great life ahead, if God gives you a great life ahead, will that mean that you'll do more things for the congregation, for the community, for the world, for society? Or does that mean that you're just going to live in your own little life, in your own little bubble, take care of yourself, 
even if you, we saw this from the laws of kosher, where the Torah in Leviticus 11 points out all of the animals that are kosher and those that are not kosher, the exceptions. One of them is the chasida. And our sages ask, why is it a chasida? Oh, because it does acts of kindness. Oh, one second. If it does acts of kindness, that should be a kosher animal, not a non-kosher animal. Why does the Torah point out specifically that this animal is not kosher when its characteristic is that it does acts of kindness? Our sages say because it limits its kindness. Kindness is, if you're from my family, then I'll do acts of kindness for you. But if you're not part of my family, I don't care what happens to you. I'm not there for you. It's only from my own that I do kindness. That is a sign of a non-kosher animal. That means that if we are focused on doing acts of kindness for only ourselves, that's a limitation. But if we are doing acts of kindness for the entire humanity, we're doing acts of kindness for our community, for our congregation, for our synagogue, we're needed then God says, oh, this is not just a person, an individual. This is a person who the entire congregation needs them. Oh, that's a reason they got to stay. That's a reason they need to. Now, I just yesterday, I was on the phone. Uh, my daughter, sorry, my daughter was on the phone. She was talking to one of her friends. And the friend said, oh, your father's there. Uh, can, I, can I talk to him? I need something. I need to know something about Rosh Hashanah. I said, sure. I got on the phone. And she says to me, okay, what's the, what's the deal with Rosh Hashanah? Like, what's really going on? <laughs> so I said, you know, you have 24 podcasts you can listen to. We talked about Rosh Hashanah already for 24 days. And, uh, and you can listen to that. But I'll tell you just in one quick phrase. Rosh Hashanah is about standing in front of God and making him king of the universe. We have so many distractions. We have so many things that pull us away. We have the desire for, for uh, you know, for wealth. We have a desire for career. We have a desire for fashion. We have a desire for acknowledgement. People should know me. Fame. Everybody wants to be famous. We have a desire for entertainment, which is another form of saying running away from myself. We have all of these things that are distracting us and we're losing our focus that Hashem, who Elohim, Hashem is our God. And what do we need to do in order to realign and refocus ourselves? That's what we have Rosh Hashanah for. Rosh Hashanah, the goal of Rosh Hashanah is for us to v'simloch ato levadcha. Hashem, you should be king over us alone. We shouldn't have any other forms of king. We shouldn't have any other form of a God that takes away our attention and our focus. If people, you want to know what idolatry is? I'll tell you what idolatry is. Black Friday. I would go with my kids when they were younger. I would take them on Thursday before Black Friday. And we would see people lined up outside of Best Buy We'd see people lined up, camping out, just so that they can save $100 on a TV. That's idolatry. I don't know what the idolatry is more, the TV or the sale or the, 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 the bargain or saving the money. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but that's not 
someone whose priority is serving the Almighty. It's something which is which is quite challenging. It's challenging to say the least because uh, there's many other examples I can give. But you have people who are who, who you know, oh, my favorite singer is having a concert, you know, in November, December, January, whenever it is. I have to buy the tickets, and they're getting ready, and they have the relax, relax. Okay, it's not a big deal. Stop making them an idol. They're not an idol. They're not allowed to be an idol to you. Only Hashem. Do we have such excitement to go to synagogue to talk to God? Do we have such excitement to do a mitzvah? Oh, so maybe our priorities are messed up. That's idolatry. Idolatry is when our priorities are flawed. That's idolatry. So that's what we're trying to fight on Rosh Hashanah. The minute we recognize that Hashem that Hashem is our God, then what happens? Ah, now Hashem says, oh, we have a relationship here. Ah, let me give you another year so we can grow this friendship, that we can grow this relationship. So the Gemara here says, We are all examined with one glance, meaning, how important are you for the congregation? Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, we have also learned this in our Mishnah, which concluded by citing the verse, from his dwelling place he oversees all inhabitants of the earth. And then it continues, that God, the one who created their hearts together, who understands all of their deeds. So there's another part of judgment that we're going to be uncomfortable with. And that is that when we think about, you know, we have today the uh, the lie detector. So how does that work? Is that you get a little nervous when you're saying something which isn't the truth. So it'll it'll change the pulse of the reader. And then they'll know, oh, unless someone's a hardened liar and they're comfortable with it. So they can know if you're saying the truth or if it's false. We can know on people's facial expressions. We can know if they're saying the truth or if they're saying the fal- falsehood. We, we can, there are many ways to know, but there's no way to know what someone is thinking in their heart. There is no way to know. In Psalms, we say, Hashem created the ear and he can't hear. Hashem created the eyes and he can't see. Hashem, right? Hashem created everything that we have, and but he doesn't have the technology or the ability to record what we're saying. Right? This is Psalms. We say it at the end of Mizmor. There you go. And they say, God will not see, nor will God of Jacob understand. Understand you boars among the people. And you fools, when will you gain wisdom? He who implants the ear, shall he not hear? He who fashions the eye, shall he not see? He who chastises nations, shall he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, Hashem knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. 
Praiseworthy is a man whom God disciplines and whom you teach from your Torah. So this is just a, this is from Psalms 94. You think Hashem doesn't know what's going on? Hashem knows exactly what's going on. You can fool everybody. You can't fool Hashem. You cannot fool Hashem. This is what we're demonstrating on Rosh Hashanah. That there is Hamevin al Hashem understands every single action we've done. Even every single action we wanted to do. Whether they were good, they were bad, they're ugly, it doesn't make a difference. Hashem knows exactly our intentions. Okay, so now I want to go back to the to the earlier Gemara here. Okay, it's important for us to know that Hashem is in charge of everything. He's got a, he's got control of everything. Okay, now the Gemara says a couple of things here. The Gemara asks, "My Masnisin, who is the Tana of our Mishnah? Who is the author of this Mishnah?" Lo Rabbi Meir, v'lo Rabbi Yehuda, v'lo Rabbi Yosi, v'lo Rabbi Nosson. In accordance with neither Rabbi Meir nor Rabbi Yehuda nor Rabbi Yosi nor Rabbi Nosson, the Tanya for it was taught in the Brisa. Listen to this. Hakol nidonin birash hashana. All matters are judged on Rosh Hashanah. Everything that's going to happen to every single one of us this coming year is already judged within the first three days of tomorrow. Everything that's going to happen to us in the coming year, good, bad, or fortunate, or or unfortunate, will be signed tomorrow, sealed on Yom Kippur. As the Gemara here continues and says, And the decree is sealed on Yom Kippur. This is what Rav Meir says, Div Rav Meir. Hakol nidonim Rosh Hashanah, every matter is judged on Rosh Hashanah, v'gzardin shalahem nechtam, kol echad ve'echad bizmano, that everyone is decreed, everyone is signed in their proper time, which we know is Yom Kippur. So why do we have these 10 days? Why don't we have it signed and sealed in one shot? Do a quick closing. A quick closing, you just don't have to wait too much time, you just get the financing for your mortgage and just like, that's it. Quick closing. Hashem, give me the judgment, seal the judgment, and we're done. Because we want it to be a good one. And we have the ability to appeal by action. We don't need to appeal in front of a court. We need to appeal by action. Because if we take the time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we say, you know what? Shem, I realized I was going down the wrong path. You may have judged me unfavorably. I'm going to show you that I'm different. I'm going to show you change. I'm going to show you that I am transformed. And therefore, by default, you have to give me a different judgment because I'm a different guy or gal. So therefore, what we do is we use these 10 days of mercy, these 10 days of Teshuvah of repentance, and we change who we are. It's a, it's a very powerful time to not give up on our coming year and say, you know what, whatever it is, it is. No, I want to change. Hashem, help me become a better person. Hashem, help me connect to you more. Hashem, give me the ability to learn your Torah, to connect with your Torah, to, to, to connect with you. 
Okay, so the Gemara now continues. By the way, you know what else is judged on this day of Rosh Hashanah? Your livelihood. Your livelihood. Every penny you're going to make is already pre-judged from Rosh Hashanah. So if you win the lottery this year, it wasn't random. It was already prejudged on Rosh Hashanah. If you, God forbid, if someone loses their business, someone files bankruptcy, they lose all their money, that was predestined from Rosh Hashanah. Oh, no, it's not predestined. It's because of my partner. He cheated me. No. If Hashem didn't judge it from adv- in advance to be that way, it wouldn't have happened. See, we have the ability to get angry at whoever we want. But a believer doesn't have anger. Why not? Because you realize everything's from Hashem. When I realize that everything is from Hashem, what am I getting angry at that guy? What did he do? He's just a puppet in this, in this show. Right? I have, I, everything is coming from Hashem. Hashem decides what's going to be. Hashem decides how much I'm going to make. You know, there's a story. I've said this a while back. But there was a baker in the old, in the old uh, area of Jerusalem. It's called Me'asharim. And one of his uh, main workers decided, why should I work for this guy and get an hourly wage? I'll open up a competition. He opened up a bakery right across the street. And this... You know, the family was not happy about it. The family's like, oh, we don't understand. The father, they saw the father. The father goes over to his competition. This guy used to work for him. He used to work for him. They go, they go over to him. He goes over to his competition. And he puts his hand over his shoulder and he tells him, let me tell you where to get the best, cheapest flour. Let me tell you where to, you know, where to get the best, you know. He was giving him all his business advice. Family was going apoplectic. Like you're giving this guy who has the gall, he has the chutzpah to open up, take away your recipes, bake his own stuff, take away your business, take away your clients. Unbelievable. And you're giving him advice now? He says, you know something... The amount of money I'm supposed to make was already predestined on Rosh Hashanah. He can't take anything away from me. I'm not going to lose one single penny because of him. You get very angry. Oh, he's taking away my business. It's predestined already on Rosh Hashanah exactly what you're going to make. You're not going to make a penny more or a penny less. Just because we're Americans and we love to hear the end of the story and hear all feel good about it, the guy who opened up the competition ended up closing his bakery. He wasn't successful. But I think it's a lesson for us to learn from the original bakery owner. You can't be harmed by anybody. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't start getting concerned that someone is going to take away my job. Someone's going to take away my livelihood. They're going to steal my concept. They're going to steal my idea. Exactly what Hashem wants is what's going to be. Does that mean 
Oh, well, Rabbi, if that's the case, I don't need to work. Mark, you're thinking that, right? You're thinking like, I don't need to work. Why should I work? If God already predestined what I'm going to make, even if I sit at home, I'll get it. The answer is that's true. But it's a very high level of bitachon. You have to be on a very high level. And there were very, very few people in the last hundred years that had that kind of level of bitachon where they're not even, it's like, you know, I'll give you an example. There was a guy who listened once to a discourse of his Hasidic master, of his Hasidic Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, if a person has absolute 100% trust, 100% trust, they have nothing to worry about, Hashem will take care of everything for them. He said, really, nothing? This guy used to have a donkey. And the donkey, he would deliver water with the donkey. So, What did he do? He said, okay, I'm not going to work. The Rebbe said that if I have full trust in Hashem, I don't need to work anymore. I'm talking about 100% trust. So he stopped working. And his wife's like, okay, I know we have some savings, but not that much savings. You better get back to work. See, he said, okay. He takes the donkey and sells the donkey. He says, that's it. I don't need to work, right? I don't need to work at all. Sells the donkey. And what happened was now he's sitting and learning Torah. He's having full trust in Hashem and his wife is starting to nag at him, say, what's going to be? We don't have food. I understand you're idealistic and everything, but this is not working, okay? One day his donkey shows up in front of his house with a pendant around its neck with a very, very expensive diamond. Very expensive diamond. What happened? The person he sold the donkey to went to go get some rocks to have his donkey schlep the rocks so that he can make some money on them. And he went into a cave and the cave collapsed on him and he died. What does the donkey know? It knows its original owner. So it goes back to its original owner's house. The original owner comes out from the study hall and he sees there's his donkey, but it has a pendant around its neck with an expensive diamond. Because the guy, before he went into the cave, took off his necklace, said, I don't want it to get dirty from all the rocks. So he put it around the neck of the donkey. So you think it's like, wow, this is a crazy story, right? I'll tell you another story. That's what it means to have trust in Hashem. So people came to the Hasidic master and said, that's unbelievable. I also have trust in Hashem. And it didn't work. He says, did you sell your donkey? No, you kept looking at your bank account. You kept on looking. Oh, did it come now? Did it come now? Did it come now? That's not trust. This guy has real trust. He sold his donkey. That's what it means to have real trust in Hashem. I have no doubts. There was a rabbi. I, I saw the story many years ago, so I hope I'm quoting it correctly, and I hope it's accurate to begin with. But Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, who was the leader of the Mir Yeshiva when it came to Jerusalem, uh, was the head of the yeshiva, 
And Reb Chaim Shmulevitz was once teaching a class about bitachon, about having trust in Hashem. And he said, an example would be if someone has absolute 100% trust in Hashem, that something will happen to them, it'll happen. So I said, ah, come on, give us an example. He says, okay. He says, I'm having full trust in Hashem that I'm going to get a gold watch before next class. Gold watch. That's it. Just trust in Hashem. And he'll bring it to the class to show them the following week. What happens that week, the mailman comes and brings him a package. He had an old friend from back in, in Poland. He was a very wealthy man. And he died. And he said, I want my watch to go to Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. And what color was that watch? It was a gold watch. You know what I'm saying, Mark? When someone has 100% trust in Hashem, they have nothing to worry about. Hashem li lo ira. When Hashem is with me, meaning that I feel a closeness to Hashem, I have nothing to worry about. So when we talk about Rosh Hashanah being a day of judgment, it means casting away all of our doubts. Tashlich b'mitzulos yom kal chatosam. We throw into the sea all of our sins. What are those sins? Those are the barriers. Those are the things that we don't allow us, that don't allow us to get close to Hashem. We spoke about that in our Jewish Inspiration podcast. We talked about this idea of what Tashlich means on a deeper level. It means that we're not only throwing away our sins to a body of water. It means that we're throwing away our doubts of Hashem. And we're putting all reliance on Hashem. We're throwing away all doubt. We're throwing away all uncertainty. We're throwing away all of our worries. Because worry comes when we're not fully committed to the idea. Oh, maybe, maybe not. I think he is. I believe he is. I have faith that he is. These are all non-committal words. The Torah says, You should have knowledge of Hashem. Knowledge means I have no doubts. How's it going to happen? It's not my business. Hashem, it's your problem, not mine. I know you're going to take care of this. And yes, we ask Hashem for his assistance every single day. We need to continue to do that. We need to tug the strings of heaven. That's why we see also in the Kaddish. We add a word to the Kaddish during the 10 days of repentance, but then we remove a word as well because there has to be a certain number of words. There's a certain number of words that pull the strings of the heaven. We see multiple times in the prayer the theme of the number 13, for example. 13 attributes of mercy. When you say Baruch in Baruch Sha'amar, in the beginning of the Psukah de Zimra, there's 13 times. When you say the praises of Hashem in Yishtabach, there's 13 praises. Between the beginning and the end of the Amidah, there are 13 blessings. It's not random. 
It's not random. It's very, very, very precise, very exact. Our sages, the men of the great assembly, didn't randomly put together our prayers. It's all with all the secrets of the heavenly realms. So in the Kaddish, there needs to be 28 words in that f- paragraph. And because we add le'ela ula'ela, exceedingly great is Hashem's reign of the world. We add exceedingly. So now what do we take out? Instead of having two words, min kol, we make it into one word, mikol. Because that's how accurate we need to be with words. So when we pray every single day, don't just pray from your heart, alone. Read the words inside. Because those words are so powerful. To tug on the strings of heaven. To get us to the greatest place we need to be. Rosh Hashanah is a time where we do everything we can to put our best foot forward. It's a time not to be angry, which is why we say, Ose Ha Shalom Bimromav. We mentioned this yesterday as well. What is Ha Shalom? The peace. Because someone who has peace of mind is happy. And if you're happy on Rosh Hashanah, it's an omen for an amazing year. If someone is in a fight, they're in a feud, they are miserable. Someone who's miserable, the presence of the Almighty can't reside with them. So, the Talmud here says now, the Gemara elaborates on the four times of the year when judgment has passed. Tanya was taught in Abraisa, Amr of Yehuda, Mershum, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yehuda is related in the name of Rabbi Akiva. So the Gemara goes now and talks about each of the four times of Rosh Hashanah. We're going to go jump to the Rosh Hashanah of us. It says, Amr HaKadosh Baruch the Almighty said, the Holy One, blessed is He said, Naschu lefanai mayim bachag. Libate water before me on the festival. Kedeshi is baruchu lachem gishme bracha. So that the annual rains be blessed for you. The imru lefanai berashashana malchi yuzachronus vashofras. And furthermore, God said, recite before me on Rashashana verses of kingship, remembrance, and shofar. Verses of kingship in order to accept this, my sovereignty upon yourselves. The sovereignty of Hashem. Verses of remembrance so that your remembrance should rise before me favorably. And with what should these verses be recited. How do we recite these verses on Rosh Hashanah? By shofar, with the shofar. I'm going to get to that in a minute. We're going to go back to the shofar in a minute. The Gemara elaborates on the shofar. Amar Rabbi Avo, Rabbi Avo said, Lama token b'shofar shalayil. Why do we blow from a shofar of a ram? Amar Amar Kaddish Baruch The Holy One, blessed is He, said, Tiku lufane b'shofar shalayil. Blow before me, Using a shofar of a ram. So that I will remember for you 
for your sake. So I'll remember for your sake the binding of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And I will consider it as if you bound yourselves before me and brought yourselves as an offering before me. So two things I want to point out here. The first is the shofar. One of the important questions that needs to be addressed on Rosh Hashanah is that we're going to be standing in synagogue this year. It's not on Shabbos. We don't blow the shofar on Shabbos. We blow the shofar only on a weekday. So the second day of Rosh Hashanah is on Sunday. So we'll blow the shofar only on Sunday. So the question is, what should we be thinking? We're standing there and they blow the shofar. A hundred sounds. At first, it's a terror. It's, 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 it's terrifying. The sound of the shofar just hits, it penetrates. But then what happens? Starts weakening. What do I do now? Well, I'm just hearing sounds. Okay, it's nice. What are we supposed to be thinking when we hear the shofar? So my dear friends, open up your hearts. Imagine you're sending an email. You're drafting an email. And you're writing a very delicate email to your boss and you're saying to your boss all the reasons why you deserve a raise. And you're drafting it and you're sending it a copy to your confidant, to your friend. They're looking over it. And then you're ready to send the email. Did you write the email? You wrote the email. You edited the email. Everything is ready to go. But did you click send? Didn't click send. So it's, it's in the ether. It doesn't exist yet. The moment you click send is the sound of the chauffeur. The chauffeur sound is clicking send. That's what it is. It's when you're, the entire month we've been preparing and preparing and preparing for Rosh Hashanah, for standing in front of Hashem and to make God king of the universe and to make God king over us. Okay, finally Rosh Hashanah comes. Click send. That's the shofar blowing. When you hear the shofar sounds, it's Hashem receiving, so to speak, our prayers. Our sages tell us that the sound of the shofar embodies all of our prayers and it penetrates the heavens, brings it to God's throne. That's why there's also a certain sequence, certain sequence of sounds. That's the code. So that the email gets to the right place. My dear friends, it is so important for us to realize that Rosh Hashanah is one big making God king. It's the coronation of our king. If you watch the coronation of a king of flesh and blood this year, it gives you a millionth of a, per, of, 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 of a millionth, a billionth, a trillionth of a concept of what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah, making Hashem king. Hashem wants us to make him king over us. To not have other disruptions. To not have other distractions. To not have other things. And that's what the shofar declares. 
which is why I recommend that a person should take a time to meditate, to think, to contemplate, to introspect before the shofar blowing. You know why? Because get ready, draft that email, edit it, because when we blow that shofar, we're clicking send. We're giving Hashem our thoughts. We're giving Hashem our heart. We're giving Hashem our desires. We're giving Hashem all of our worries. We're giving it all to Hashem. And we're letting go. That's it. And you know what we do then after that? What we said earlier, we go to the body of water where, by the way, it used to be that they would crown the kings by the water. Many reasons for that. Also, we mentioned here, the next piece here, that we blow the shofar of a ram because God, uh, Abraham brought Isaac as an offering to God in the binding of Isaac, and instead he brought a ram. You know what the Midrash tells us? The Midrash tells us that when Abraham was going to the destination where God said he should go, which we know today's Temple Mount, Suddenly there was a river in front of him. And Abraham said, I'm not stopping because of a river. The Yetzahara made a river appear in front of Abraham so that he not go and offer a son. Abraham says, I don't care. I'm going through. And he starts walking through the river till the water reaches his nostrils. And then the water just vanishes. He was not going to get stopped by anything committed in memory of that ram we blow the shofar specifically for maram so the long shofars that we have are not for maram which is why it's best not to blow those for the hundred sounds it's best to blow a different shofar but my dear friends this is Rosh Hashanah Rosh Hashanah is a time of standing in front of Hashem and letting go. Letting go. Hashem, you're the king. I have nothing. I have nothing without you. You're my everything. Everything. I have nothing. Anybody who's been faced with any type of medical illness knows the level of how delicate we are. We're so delicate. Just ask a man just ask a man with a cold. He'll tell you. His whole life falls apart. You just have a little cold. Say you know what they say, the only person who can understand the woman who gives birth without an epidural is a man who has a cold. The Gemara cites another statement about the shofar. Umar Abitzok says Lama talking about Rosh Hashanah. Why do we sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? The Gemara now is like, what? What are you talking about? Lama token. Rachmana Amar Tiku. Hashem says in the Torah, blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. What, do you, what type of question is that? Why do we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? The Torah says to blow the shofar. Hashem says in his Torah, blow the shofar. The Gemara rephrases the question. Ela Lama Marin. Why do we sound a teruah on Rosh Hashanah? The Gemara is equally puzzled by this version. Sound of Teruah? 
Because Rachmana Amar, Hashem says in his Torah, Zichron Teruah, a mention of a Teruah blast. What do you want to have a question? The Gemara qualifies, clarifies the question even more. Rather, why do we sound a Tekiah and a Teruah when the congregation are sitting? And then, again, sound the Tekiah and Teruah while they're standing. Says that, no, that's a good question. In order to confuse the Satan. That's why today, this morning in synagogue, I'm not going to say it loud, but in synagogue, we didn't blow the shofar this morning. I didn't blow the shofar this morning. Every day of, of Elul, aside for Shabbos, 28 days, we blow the shofar. Today, the 29th, we don't blow the shofar. You know why? To confuse the Satan. He's like, one second. They were getting ready for Shoshana, now they're not blowing the shofar. Uh-oh, I think I missed it. And it confuses him, he doesn't know, he's off his game. He's off his game. Okay, I'm going to go to one more thing now. And then we'll stop here. The Gemara says, Amr Rav Yitzchak, Rav Yitzchak said, A person is judged only for his actions of the moment. Even though God knows all that he will act wickedly in the future, God judges him as per his actions as of this present moment. It says regarding Ishmael. Ishmael, you think God didn't know that there'll be a bunch of terrorists? That they'll blow up buildings and blow up buses and murder people? Hashem didn't know that? Hashem had a golden opportunity. Just wipe him out and goodbye. You'll never have to worry about the nation of Islam again. So why in the world did Hashem not take him out? He was already sick. He was in the desert. He was dying from thirst. Because Hashem asked the angels, Ba'asher Husham, right now, is he righteous? He said, oh, right now he is. He's crying to heavens for mercy. So if right now he's righteous, we judge him by right now. Uh, but, but look in the future. You're going to see he's a disaster. doesn't make a difference. Right now he's righteous. When we come on Rosh Hashanah, we think like, oh, I'm going to fake God so well. <laughs> I'm going to fake. I'm going to come Rosh Hashanah and I'm going to play the game. I'm going to come. I'm going to wear my, my, my white clothes. I'm going to wear, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk nicely to everybody. I'm going to walk around with a smile the whole day. I'm going to be thinking good thoughts and God will give me a good year of judgment. I'll be able to trick everybody. Because next year I have some plans of banks I want to rob, places I want to, right? All of these terrible things. God will judge me for a good year. They just say, indeed, you can do that. You know why? Because it's very likely that when you taste being a good person for that one day, for those two days of Rosh Hashanah, you'll never want to go back. And God judges us based on how we are at the moment. My dear friends, Rosh Hashanah is upon us. It's an amazing time to reconnect. It's an amazing time to reestablish our relationship with God. You know what? 
we can say, Rabbi, thank you very much. We appreciate it. But you know what? I didn't grow up like that. It's not me. It's not who I am. Well, it could be on Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah is a new beginning. Every person can declare, I'm changing. And Hashem will help us with that change. Hashem should guide us. Hashem should bless our ways. And God willing, in every way possible, next year should be the most amazing year yet in our lives. In good health, in success, in happiness, in all of the blessings. Amen. Shana to everybody.